Hey, it's Nick. Thanks for listening to your certain degree. This episode aired, this episode 197, 196, aired on WPRK on August 31st. 2020 and it features some of my favorite people they were such my favorite people that they appeared in episode 195 as well so that's eddie Sullivan, robo ono lee perry and ryan semple you'll hear all about them in a second thank you for listening thank you for subscribing and i uh, appreciate you listening to this now shortened version of the show it's about 40 minutes long do you like that do do you like do you like that do you like that? Do you like it being that short? I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting an answer through the car stereo or your phone that you're listening to this on. Can you let me know? Thanks. Hello, you are listening to A Certain Degree. I'm your host, Nick Jorkadio. This is episode 196. We are not live in the WPRK studio, though, so what you will be hearing is the brilliance of the Orlando community from past episodes of the show. Not me, I'm not brilliant. The brilliant ones are Eddie Sullivan of Pachacacha Orlando, Lee Perry of Ideas for Us and Fleet Farming, and two amazing artists, Ryan Semple and Robo Ono. They were featured on episode 195 as well, so listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. You don't need to listen to that to understand this episode though because it's not that kind of, it wasn't a to be continued. Ryan Semple is up first. He's an amazing local artist. And I have this idea in my head, maybe a biased idea of what a professional artist is. That picture of a starving artist comes up a lot. So I wanted to find out what his journey was that got him there. After high school, um, I went to community college. I went to Valencia. Um, really no hard plan in what I was going to do. I went with the intent of doing something with psychology just because I was interested in that particular, you know, uh, realm for a little bit. But so at that point, art wasn't necessarily on the table. No, not, not as a career. It was still at this point, just kind of like a hobby, something I did on the side, Mm -hmm. um, something for my own like leisure, but yeah, not, not anything too serious. Um, so yeah, I went to school, um, and then I changed my mind about psychology and then I felt the need that I had to do something that other people were doing. So I thought, oh, I can be an accountant. That sounds like it's stable. And then, uh, once I got to like the business calc part of it and actually failed that class and I realized, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this, you know, I'm, I've never been a math person. So, uh, I kind of like worked until I got my AA and at that point uh, I was working at a car dealership and I was working full time and going to school part time and I was getting FAFSA and at some point um, I wasn't being granted as much money so I was paying out of pocket and it was just getting to be too expensive because I was living on my own and just a lot of stuff adds up and you don't want to necessarily take on the added debt of taking out loans and stuff. Yeah, I, I never wanted to be in that position and I wasn't sure what I was going to school for. I wasn't sure about what I wanted out of life. So I said, well, let me let me stop going to school right now. You know, I, I got the AA and, you know, if I want to go back, I at least have this to go off of. So I decided to take a break and I was working more and I thought, 
oh, you know, like maybe I'll stay at this job because, you know, I've always been told, you know, you stick with one company and you write it out with them and they'll take care of you. But to be honest, I don't think that lifestyle, maybe for my parents, that generation, maybe for them, that worked, but I don't think it's very sustainable now. And I don't think it's the lifestyle that people want now either. Mm-hmm. You know, people people aren't, I don't want to say as committed, but... I think I, we're realizing the satisfaction that goes along with that. Like, yes, there's some stability in our lives, mm-hmm. but the overall satisfaction may not be there. Yeah, like your quality of life. Like if yeah. you're not happy in what you're doing, then I feel like everything else falls like I was making a good amount of money you know, I was able to provide for myself and I had plenty left over for savings, but then, you know, I was miserable and then I'm like, what, what am I really doing with my life? And I I struggled for a long time to decide what I was going to do. So I think being kind of in that pit for a while made me think about what I wanted out of life. And, um, you know, through a couple like personal interactions with, um, people and getting out into more like art events, I started to see like, hey, like I'm really happy being here and mm-hmm. when I'm home and, you know, I was still creating for leisure, but I found, you know, when I was creating, that's when I was most happy and when I felt like I was bringing out the best of myself and like doing things that I wouldn't normally do, you know, it was just like being more than just content with life, you know, I I was challenging myself in other ways, not just art, you know, I'm now I'm like learning to cook. That's like something I've taken on recently, like learning how to do that better. And um, yeah, so I, I just found a lot of joy there. So when I um, when I started to realize that, I kind of hopped out of that job that I was doing and, and said, hey, like I can make this happen. I just need a little bit more free time to do so. So, right. you know, I've taken on other jobs, but less strenuous jobs, less stressful jobs where uh, the interactions are more meaningful and the relationships are better with people and it made me appreciate people better. So I think that has helped a lot in just my daily life and yeah, just having more energy to get into art has overall made me happier. Um, I think for anybody that's like kind of unsure what they want to do with their life or if they're not happy with their position, I think really it's just like sitting down and evaluating like what you want the most out of life, like where you align with the most and, you know, like just work towards getting there. Or if you feel like you're not in a, maybe a position of uh, monetary value to be there, mm. you know, just know that like there's always jobs and I guess it's like what you're willing to sacrifice to have a better quality of life. I think too often like people put themselves in, in a position where they're unhappy and then they fill that void with money. You know, that's kind sure. of the, the routine. Let me ask you about this. I think a lot of this, the, and I apologize because I'm using stereotypes here, but when it comes to art and artists, mm-hmm. a lot of times um, they're very introverted. Mm-hmm. So did you find it difficult to start going out to shows and start interacting with people? Um, I believe at a, a relatively young age, you got something in the um, in uh, city arts, mm-hmm. right? In the uh, young or the youth artist uh, program that they do there. Yeah, um, was that difficult for you? Was putting something out there like you putting yourself out there was that hard? Um, I don't like 
for those like first shows, it was kind of difficult because, yeah, you're just putting yourself on display. And then me physically being there was kind of tough because I've, yeah, I've definitely always been kind of introverted. I mean, even to this day, I, I find myself uh, battling with like socializing with people. I mm -hmm. really try to take myself out of that when, you know, when, when I'm at work, you know, I, I want to just, you know, be to my work, but I do try to make that uh, step out of the boundary and talk to the person and, you know, just talk to them and have that meaningful relationship. You know, I think that's a lot of what I'm challenging myself to do now is to just be like out of that comfort zone because I want to like, you know, I want to hide and be away from everybody, but yeah. I know that's no way to live and that's not, that's not going to be helpful to me. So I think, yeah, I think those first steps, you know, kind of prepped me for what was to come later. Um, I know where you work. I don't necessarily want to mention it mm -hmm. because, uh, but it's in the service industry. Mm -hmm. It's at a, a restaurant slash coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, it, does that help being on the front lines and interacting with people and customer service? Like, does that help you in terms of getting out there and getting those 10,000 hours of interacting with people in so you can be a little, you know, you could be more, uh, you can be better at it, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely helped a lot. I think um, with previous like workplace experience, I was, you know, still in customer service, but always on um, more like the service end where people are coming in unhappy, and then you're kind of trying to calm them down yeah. and 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 better their situation. Whereas now, what I'm doing, people are already coming in with a better attitude and just generally a lot more happier. So it's a lot easier to interact with people when they're like that. So I think I'm not as scared to interact with people because I'm not afraid of getting yelled at or like, you know, ruining a person's day or maybe even week. Um, so now, yeah, I, I, like I was saying, I try to, to make that effort to talk to somebody because maybe just having that little meaningful relationship can be a highlight in the day, you know, maybe, maybe they just need to vent about something and maybe just that two minute, talk with me can alleviate them. So I think there's a lot of power in just little conversation sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're listening to a certain degree. I'm Nick. That was Ryan Semple. He is that open. He is that willing to learn. He took up whittling earlier this year because he wanted to figure it out. I encourage you to check out his work at ryansempleart.com. R-Y-A-N-S-E-M-P-L-E art.com. Pachacacha Orlando is 10 years old this year, and while the format has had to change a bit to accommodate pandemic life, the mission hasn't. Eddie Selliver curates and organizes the show with Orlandoans who are not professional speakers or storytellers sharing their stories in unique ways. As an attendee to multiple events, I've left with a lot of things to think about and many more to discuss with other people. That led into this conversation with Eddie when he appeared on the show back in February of 2019 you know like homer simpson said once why why are all the bad things so tasty that's a good point well and what i like about that it seemed like a tangent but we were talking about two of the pachacacha speakers and that's one of the takeaways for me from pachacacha is the conversations that you have afterwards about the topics that you've just seen and the thoughts that you've had uh, or the things that it makes you feel afterwards. Yeah. So you mentioned Jose Fajardo earlier. I remember coming away from that talk going, you know, this is a guy who put himself out there 
and was very vulnerable on stage in terms of what he was talking about. Yes. And so that inspired me in many ways. And I actually, what I, I typically didn't do at the time was went up to him and thanked him afterwards. So those are That's the types great. of uh, yeah. things that you can do. And these are people in Orlando. These are not national speakers that are coming through that you couldn't necessarily interact with, except maybe on Twitter if you say something super funny. These are people you can talk to afterwards at the events and afterwards in Orlando. Right. I mean, I think that one of the key um, purposes of the event are, are we have a sort of unofficial tagline, unwrapping the brilliance of Orlando. And that's really what the event is all about. It's like a window into things that are happening here that you had no idea were happening that are great things, people doing really interesting, fun stuff that you didn't even know was, was going on, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what other event can you go to and hear, you know, a mermaid talking about what it's like to be a mermaid at wiki watching mermaid camp. I don't For think example. Many. Yeah. Not too many. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go back to you as the curator. I'm curious about your interaction with music overall. So this is switching over from Pachaka Cha to Eddie Silver. Let's writer. Uh, so you write a lot. You write for work. Um, I'm not sure if you write. I know you have a blog, but do you write mm -hmm. for pleasure as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. What? How do you interact with music when you're writing? What's your process like? And uh, what do you do when you hit roadblocks? When you hit that writer's block? Uh, you know, uh, as far as music and writing goes, I mean, it can be, it can get you into a certain kind of mood. Mm -hmm. um, it's tricky, though, because I'm a very, being a writer, I think I'm very focused on lyrics. And when I hear songs, I really hear the lyrics first and the music kind of second. So it can be, it can become a distraction. I don't usually uh, listen to music when I'm writing. Okay. Because I, I want to hear my own thoughts, not someone else's. You've got your own soundtrack going. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't find music very helpful to writing. But, yeah. So, was that your, how do you deal with writer's block? Was that your question? That was the other question mm. is, yeah, you have to be, um, you know, you may have your own deadlines and you may uh, honor those or not. But when you're working, you're writing, you have to hit those deadlines. Well, at this point in my career, because I'm getting up there uh, and I've been doing this a long time, I, I'm sort of, in a sense, like a like a woodworker, you know, a guy who makes chairs, who's been making chairs for 30, 40 or more years. So it's right? a muscle memory. So yeah, I, uh, you hand that guy like a, a chunk of wood, you know, a couple of planks and a, give him a lathe and he's going to make you a chair. He's just going to do it. Uh, so that's sort of what it's like. And as far as, I mean, I think that there definitely are times as a writer or any creative person where you're inspired, but the reason that you work at it and develop craft is that, that craft can see you through the, the gaps in your inspiration. So that when, you know, when I was very young and I was writing, I had to be inspired. And when I was inspired, it just flowed out. That was great. But when the inspiration dried up, I got, I got nothing, you know. But now, you know, I can, I can keep on writing and know that maybe what I'm writing will have to be revised or or tossed out, but I just know to keep going. Just keep going. And the, the craft will see you through those gaps. 
So I don't really have writer's block, quote unquote, anymore. Just close your eyes and it's just coming out. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. When you said muscle memory, that's that's kind of pretty much what it is. Yeah, yeah. What about for public speaking and for speeches? Does that does that pattern of writing change for you? No, I think every 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 bit of communication starts with thinking about who is the audience. You know, if you're doing it right, so it becomes a question of, well, who am I talking to? What do they know already? What do they not know? What do I want them to know? What do I want them to think or to do? How do I want them to feel and react? What's the takeaway ultimately? What do I want them to, to do differently when this is when they're done receiving this communication? And so that really drives whatever the communication is. It, and it can be... I mean, let's say you're writing a letter to your neighborhood association because there's, you know, an infestation of bears and you want them to do something about the bears. A dear bear letter. Yeah. 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 I read a lot of those. Yeah. Or whatever it is. You know, you want, you're complaining because you got bad service at the deli, right? And you're writing an email. What it's, you start out like, what what's the intended effect of this? What do I want them to do after they've read it? Do I want the, that deli clerk fired? Do I want, you know, new trash cans? What do I want to have come out of this? And then you kind of back, you back up and get there. You know, you, you build the, whatever it is, the speech, whatever it is to the effect that you want it to have. Nice. Yeah. All right. I think that's good writing advice. I think that's probably the advice you're giving uh, the people who are getting ready for Pachacacha. Right. And that I now. think, you know, you were talking about the order of the speakers, and I think that that drives the selection of, of who goes in what order is sort of what is the ultimate impact that I want the event to have on the audience. Mm -hmm. And basically every single time I want the audience to leave the theater feeling really, really great about living in Orlando and, you know, really excited to go back and engage with their community and, and meet more people and see what people are doing here and, f and feel like this is, you know, a real dynamic, up-and-coming, great city of the future. I'm Nick Jurgudu. You're listening to a certain degree. I agree with Eddie. That's what Orlando is, and Pichacacha is an incredibly powerful way to highlight that. You can experience past talks on YouTube. Look up Pechacacha Orlando. That's P-E-C-H-A-K-U-C-H-A. -A. It's also the 10th anniversary of Pechacacha Orlando, so keep an eye out for some new programming later this year. You are listening to some highlights of, to a certain degree, an interview show that is on WPRK from 7 to 9 a.m. every Monday morning. Get full interviews with more than 200 Orlando residents on toacertaindegree.com or wherever you get podcasts. Funny, poignant, hungry. These interviews touch on the range of human emotions, which are just those three things, apparently. Funny, poignant, and hungry is Robo Ono in a nutshell. He has a diverse background, though, so does he go by musician, graphic artist, sculptor, all-around handsome dude? I try not to get wrapped up in uh, in labeling what, who and what I am, uh, um, as what I do, you know, or vice versa. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like I was, that was my career. You know, yeah. I, well, I was a musician. I was a touring musician, um, occupationally. Um, I, I'd like to think that I had a little bit more to offer that on a personal level, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, but, Absolutely. but yeah, I mean, I was very much, that was, that was my career. Um, and I got paid to do the best job in the world, you know, and I, I had a different outlook on as to why I believe that was the best job in the world than most other people in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was, it was an amazing time for me, you know, just, I mean, like the, the amount of growth I was able to achieve as a person. And that's one of the things that drives me, you know, so nuts about social media now. And when I see people arguing, you know, one another's points and not, not, not having a debate, not having, you know, like, a, Oh, no, I understand where you're coming more. from. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, you guys haven't left, you've never been out of your city. You know, you've never been out of your state. You've never been across the country. You've never been around the world. And you, you've you never been face-to-face with people to be able to have a sit-down conversation where you're able to you're you're able to have impressions left on you by just the inflection in their voice, which is completely lost through right. any text-based medium, you right. know? And I, like, I, I was grateful for, like, all of that stuff. So I, I, while I consider myself occupationally a musician... I would like to think that I grew and I have more to offer, especially during that time, um, than just that label. Well, and and it's a good point because we get into sort of this mindset that social media connects us, mm-hmm. but it connects us without necessarily giving us much perspective because we don't, yeah. we can't walk a mile in another person's shoes if we've never been there, if I, we've yeah. never actually traveled. So that was an opportunity for you to travel. That was an opportunity for you to perform, to interact with people. You strike me as a very social person. And so being able to go out there and meet hundreds of people, thousands of people at different shows and concerts and stuff yeah. was probably really good for you in terms of uh, growing your perspective. Yeah, it was it was fantastic and humbling me. Yeah. Because up until that point, I, I studied Taoism years ago, and that really kind of centered me because it, it allowed me to, to not just understand that you know, I'm I'm nothing in comparison to the overall scheme of things, but also that I am something because my actions and my behavior directly impact those around me. Mm-hmm. And while that time planted the seeds of, of that thought process, being on the road and experiencing all these different people, all these different cultures, all these different mindsets and, and points of view, that really allowed those seeds to flourish. And it allowed who I eventually was supposed to become to come to fruition. You know, so it's, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I, I'm grateful and it, it bugs me. Like, I wish I could just plug my head directly into other people's heads so we could just share thoughts and, you know, eventually get that hive mind and get everybody on the same. Well, or at least Vulcan mind meld with that, yeah, right? Exactly. Like here, actually get some perspective. Yeah. I've tried to go up and put my hands on people's faces and <laughs> do not care for it. They do not care for it. It's well, they shocking. don't even know what I'm referencing. What are hands for then if we like, can't just walk up to people? Do you and not just... know what a Vulcan mind meld is? Am <laughs> yes. I the only person around now? Oh, <laughs> it's depressing. I just like, oh, man, the the, the visualization just <laughs> kicks in and I just see. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me help you understand. Yeah, just a camera, a camera and footage spliced just to see the reaction of each yeah. of the individuals that you're doing this to. And it's <laughs> one right after another. <laughs> I think that would make for a good show, actually. Let's work on that afterwards. Yes. It's just a good idea for a show we're going to pitch in BBI. Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Terrible business ideas. <laughs> uh, so that has probably helped you quite a bit as a visual artist. 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, so you went to college. Uh, mm-hmm. You were originally going to go for art, commercial uh, art. Yeah. Commercial art. Uh, life had other plans. Uh, yes. And you eventually <laughs> became a musician, a touring musician. Yes. Um, and now you're back to uh, being an artist. So you tried the corporate world, from what I understand, mm-hmm. for like an hour. Oh, no. <laughs> it was it was about four years. Yeah. I still dabble in it. Yeah. Uh, because there's I don't know. There's a stability in there that. You know, you can't deny. That is the trade-off, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're, I don't want to say selling your soul, but because there are circumstances No, you can where say that because can, that what you're, that's what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, thank like, you for that. <laughs> uh, you're selling your soul in exchange for that stability. Yeah. And I, I always hearken back to uh, Fight Club about that, about, you know, like we, we work for, to buy things that we don't need to keep us occupied until we can go back to work until we right. die, you know? And I, not, I mean, not to bum anybody out out there, you know, if they weren't, ready for that much reality at nine or seven o'clock in the morning on a Monday. Um, well, if you're not too bad, you're going to get it. Yeah. That's, that's what we bring to the table here. So, well, let me ask you that because I noticed, um, looking at your Instagram, uh, is you're experimenting a lot more with your, with your art, with your subjects, Mm -hmm. with what you're, you're drawing. Where does that come from? Where does that come that need for exploration and trying new things? Uh, where does that come from for you? That is an inherent fear in my inability to truly embrace my mortality <laughs> because and I know it's like that's a long way to go back to the the root of the question or the answer, I should say. Um, but I find that um, when I when I don't challenge myself and I don't constantly push myself out of my comfort zone, when I become comfortable, I notice that life it has much less luster Mm -hmm. and I for me I love my couch but I dare not spend more than maybe two hours a night on it with my girlfriend so that you know I can just kind of relax at the end of the night but like sitting anyplace comfortable drives me crazy because it means that I'm I'm not growing and there's no growth in comfort there's there's only you know solidification you know and I I've just learned that for myself, the more productive I am, the happier I am. And I find that the way to incite productivity is to challenge myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's just something about just beating the heck out of myself, constantly doing things that I've never done before or that I'm, I'm terrified of doing, um, that pushes me to the next level because I'm, I'm knocking out those hurdles of fear. I'm knocking out that, that insecurity and, you know, that, it's bringing light into a dark room mm-hmm. and that's allowing me to understand that, Oh, you're not, you're not going to die if you don't do this correctly, you know, but it, there's so much to be gained in just the process. Even if you want to set fire to what it is that you have at the end of the process, right, right, right. you might hate it, but yeah. at least you're, so let me ask you uh, a couple of things about that. So you do uh, share a lot on Instagram in terms of your works in progress mm-hmm. and things like that. Are you sharing everything? Is that sort of a way to keep you honest in terms of making sure that you follow through with that stuff? So you're kind of showing this, you're 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 showing this and you're saying, I'm going to finish this. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, by doing that, it's keeping you on target and on task. It's it's interesting that you you recognize that part of the psychology. Yeah. Um because that's that's pretty much exactly initially that's why that started, where it, I would show a sketch. Or I would show just like a preliminary idea, color yeah. comp or something like that. It was, I was specifically putting that onto a public forum so that I would be held accountable because 
I, I don't like I'm I'm terrified of being jettisoned from the tribe for not performing properly or for being, you know, a, a drag. Um, so, I mean, initially I would put sketches out just to kind of like, you know, as initiative to, to get me to follow through. Hey, it's Nick. Robo Ono uses social media to help push him. And you can hear more about that in the full interview on to a certain degree.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to join the crowd in helping push him, the crowd that pushes him, the pushing crowd, that sounds weird. Follow along on Instagram at robo underscore ono. That's R-O-B-O underscore O-H-N-O. He also has a new line of work involving wood carved lamps. Pictures of those are available at tiki underscore ono. You are listening to a certain degree. This radio show started back in 2016 as a way for me to get to know people from around Orlando. It's a two-hour interview, so I felt like I needed some regular segments to keep things interesting for the guests and the listeners. One of those is a pop quiz, which has changed a bit over the years. One of my favorites is this one with Lee Perry of Ideas for Us in Fleet Farming. It's about a very famous piece of music, and there is a special guest as the quiz master. August 20th, Let's just get right into this pop quiz. Okay. Lee, August 20th, 136 years ago. A tent. What a time. Uh, what a time to live in. <laughs> and this is in Moscow. So this is in Russia. Something magical happened. There was music under the tent, the type of music, and I guarantee that you hear it and it moves you. The crescendos may be best known from its use during the 4th of July celebrations, but it's a celebration of Russian independence. So this is a pop quiz about a very famous piece of classic music, classical music, some might even say, which is probably the correct way to say that. I wanted to have somebody who knows music. He's a purveyor of all things musical. So Benoit Glazer is actually going to uh, help us. He's going to perform the pop quiz today. Okay. And since he's a fellow Canadian, he had to help me. Okay. So that's the Canadian code, is if you need help with something and you ask a Canadian they absolutely have to help you. <laughs> or they can do their best, eh? Why, why would you do that? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that was not. I didn't realize that. That, that was would... not. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. So are you ready for this pop quiz? Sure, eh? Okay. Oh, boy. We're going to have to have a talk after <laughs> this, Lee. All right, Benoit, take it away. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. So here we go. The 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky is a very well-known piece. What's less well-known is the original name of the piece. The year 1812 Solemn Overture. It's also known as the Festival Overture in E-flat major or just Opus 49. What you may also not know is why Tchaikovsky wrote it. And that's your first question. What does the 1812 Overture commemorate? A. The War of 1812 in America. B. Russia denying Napoleon's invasion in 1812. C. The first Oktoberfest in Germany, which happened in 1810. So what do you think the uh, overture, the 1812 overture, is commemorating? I think B. B. The uh, Russian uh, or the almost invasion of Russia by Napoleon's army. Yes. And then turning them back. Yes. I like that. Let's see. Let's ask uh, Benoit if you're correct. Benoit. It was turning back the overwhelming French invasion force in 1812. 
the Russians were very proud of how they turned Napoleon's Grande Armée into Petite Coutellerie. I also got to have him talk in French oh, that's when I so wrote great. the script. So that was right. You were right. Yeah, I, I sound like I'm really smart. <laughs> so, so far, so good. Are you ready for the next question? Yes. All right, here we go. Benoit? It was the Boston Pops Orchestra who helped establish the 1812 Overture as an American Independence Day staple. On July 4th, 1974, the Pops not only played the overture with the cannons and church bells as Tchaikovsky intended, but added fireworks to the mix. If you were to add your own piece of flair to the end of the piece, something really noisy for emphasis and grandeur, what would it be? Mm. So what would you add? I've seen it uh, in doing some research on this. I saw one orchestra doing the explosion. So it's, you know, the explosions at the end of it. Boom. With paper bags. So they were exploding mm. paper bags. Uh, so I would do probably smashing something, smashing plates, I think for my Greek heritage, mm -hmm. that would go really well. And that would sound uh, very explosive and put an emphasis on it. And so, yeah, what would you use? Um, I believe this is the same song from V for Vendetta. Yes, that is correct. I love when he's like explode. Like Everything is literally, literally exploding. Like yeah. Exploding. So in the original version, uh, Tchaikovsky wrote it. And so he wrote in the church bells and the cannons exploding as part of the concert mm -hmm. because of what it what it signified was this battle with the Russians and Napoleon and all that. Mm -hmm. So what else would you add to that at the end that would say, okay, this is Lee Perry's version of the 1812 Overture? I would say I love the sound of scraping shovels. Um, I don't think, you know, I've, I've actually shoveled six hours in a row once, a um, couple times. And there's this really great rhythmic uh, symphony in itself when you're shoveling compost for six that. hours with a large group of people. And I think that if this were playing, we would want to go for another six hours. I love that idea of just that sort of inspirational classical music building up to that crescendo and you guys playing along. It's like a subliminal pressure that you're putting on the volunteers to keep working. That sounds way better <laughs> than my idea. Yeah. I also like that you're using people's uh, innate nature against them. Yeah. Uh, so let's see what Benoit would do because uh, obviously he's a musician. Personally, I would add a row of 15 expert fly fishermen all casting their lines at the same time. Mm. Wow. Nice. I like that. I like that noise that it would create. So you're two for two. Okay. You've gotten them both right. Oh. Now, just so you know, if you get, uh, there's four questions total. If you get three out of four, we're friends. If you get four out of four, we're best friends. Okay. No pressure. Okay. Okay. Here's the next question, Benoit. The overture premiered in 1882, conducted by Hippolyte Altani under a tent because the Cathedral of Christ the Savior, which also commemorated the victory in 1812, was still under construction. Tchaikovsky did conduct the piece himself in 1891 for a special occasion. It was the dedication of what famous concert venue? A. Carnegie Hall B. The Timucua Arts Foundation White House C. The new 1,700-seat Steinmetz Hall at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, which will open in 2020. Okay, so this is a tough one. In 1891, was it Carnegie Hall, 
Was it the Timco Foundation's White House or the new part of uh, DPAC? I would say B. Oh, A. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it might be it might be A. So let's see <laughs> if uh, Benoit can answer that. The answer is always practice, practice, practice. I mean Carnegie Hall, of course. As much as we would have loved him to conduct in Orlando at the White House or the DPAC, this would be very unlikely. I was trying to get it wrong because I didn't want to be your friend. You don't want to be my friend? <laughs> well, I don't want to be your best friend, that's for sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, that's because, you know, Too you have pressure. a truck and there's a lot of cat toys in there. Yeah. And I'm allergic to cats, so. Well, there's no cats in the truck. Oh. I just keep the cat toys back there. I actually meant to, yeah, take them out before it started raining. So no, it's too late No, I now just wanted to cover up that toys. I really didn't know. I... So the idea is that, uh, you know, 1891, Tchaikovsky actually came out to Carnegie Hall and uh, when it was first being opened and did the 1812 overture. That is so beautiful. Yeah. I wish I were there. You have two more chances. Uh, the White House, of course, the Timoko Foundation. Are you familiar with the White House? No. Timoko Arts Foundation, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but they're an amazing group, Benoit and his family started it. And the idea is that he wanted a performance space in his house. So he turned half of his house into a performance space. You can go there every Sunday, listen to incredible music, local, international uh, musicians come in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. See, that sounds like that would have been the answer. It would be, but he just started a few years ago and oh, Tchaikovsky's okay. been dead for... for Quite a while. All right, last question. Are you ready? Yeah. You can get this one wrong if you want, if you don't want to be my best friend. Aww. It's totally fine. I thought we were best friends. Tchaikovsky is also very famous for his less explosive works, including the scores for Ballet, The Nutcrackers, Swan Lake, and The Sleeping Beauty. I can't ask you to pick your favorite of the three, because how can you? They're all amazing in their own way. Instead, please do your best ballet moves in the studio, and Nick will judge based on technique originality, and how many things you knock over. Mm. Okay, so go ahead. Okay. Um, right, you've got the shoulder pads. So I think that there's one like this. Yep. Right? And then there's one where you twirl and then you're on like one toe. Yeah. I can't do that. Okay, so... But I can I'll, do it in my head. Well, So you just... All you did was move your arms around. There's... No. There's this... With the fingers, you see that? Yeah, okay. This. Sorry, I didn't notice the fingers before. Right? Yeah. That's all about being elegant and poised. Uh, okay. And uh, ballerinas do it every single time that they do a little purette. Puree? Puree. If they, whenever <laughs> they puree something. Pirouette? I don't know. Ballerinas don't know. do that. I don't. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I Sorry. like how you still are all bringing it back to fleet farming. No. <laughs> so some sort of vegetable puree that they do. I'm a little rough around the edges, so I'm not mm -hmm. very ladylike. Even though I'm in a dress today, mm -hmm. I was a tomboy my whole life. My a lot knees, of shoulder pads. Let me add again, big shoulder pads today. Yes. And my knees are very uh, scarred up from all the falling, um, not because of ballet, but because I used to wrestle and I used to like rollerblade and be dirty most of the time. I was a, a very dirty child. Is this a fight club situation? Is there a fleet farming fight club? I'm not at liberty to discuss okay, that at this time. Very good. Well, let's see what, uh, what Benoit did for his ballet moves. Very well done. In the spirit of camaraderie, I also danced. I'm not one to brag, but I performed a perfect arabesque penché, which led into a grand pas de chat, and then several dozen soubresauts because I can. Then somebody mistakenly called 911, but that's a different story. 
Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, I was going to do that, and then there's very limited space in this room. There is, there, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think you could pull it off, and you didn't. So that's how I guess it works sometimes. <laughs> uh, so let's say goodbye to Benoit. Benoit, thank you so much. Thank you, Benoit. If this was the 1812 Overture, this is where the explosions would go. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Benoit Glazer, everybody. Uh, I hope we all learned something today. I did. I, I did. I did as well. Benoit Glazer asking the questions. Thank you so much, Benoit. Lee Perry answering them. For more on the Timaqua Arts Foundation, timaqua.com. That's T-I-M-U-C-U-A.com. Because of the pandemic, they are not hosting events currently, but they are streaming some of their concerts, and you can learn more about supporting the organization there. Lee Perry is the program director for Fleet Farming and the chief operations officer for Ideas for Us. There are so many incredible programs that they do. Fleet Farming is the one you probably have heard of. Their mission is to educate all generations on how to grow their own food. They host free community events and they convert underutilized land into micro farms that shares the produce with landowners and volunteers for free. Excess produce is sold to vendors, which stimulates the local economy and creates livable wages for the next generation of farmers. The fleet team now provides a new garden installation service called Edible Landscapes that helps empower people to grow their own food at their home or business. More information about all of their programs is available at ideasforus.org. I-D-E-A-S-F-O-R-U-S.org. That is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did enjoy listening to it and back to the conversations that I had. And I hope you also have a better idea of what some of the people of Orlando are all about. In the future, all that may be left of our society could be this podcast. Shouldn't you want to make it as good as it can be? Let me know what you thought. I am on all the social media channels that make sense for me, as well as Twitter for some reason. Talk to me, goose, as Tom Cruise likes to say, and visit to a certain degree.com. That's T O A certain degree.com. Thank you so much to my guests, Ryan Semple, Robo Ono, Lee Perry, and Eddie Selliver. I have been Nick Jorgudiu, and you are listening to a certain degree on WPRK 91.5 FM. <laughs>